happens to page 9 there. As we look at this second lesson, 2 Timothy, we're going to be focusing on verses 6 to 8. I just have a couple of opening comments for you. The Apostle Paul wasn't running backwards. And it it becomes real obvious just glancing at these verses. What you have here is him talking about himself in the present. Verse 6. He says, I'm being poured out. I'm almost dead. Then he has himself looking back at his life. He talks about the past. How he's fought. How he's run. But he wasn't running backwards. Because the way he ends is verse 8. And that's the longest verse. He's thinking about the time when he gets to meet Jesus. That's what we're going to be thinking about this morning. Can we pray together? Lord Jesus, the race is exciting, but it's long. Lord Jesus, the fight is good but it's hard. Give us the strength to continue fighting and the endurance to run all the way from start to finish. We pray this in your holy name, Jesus. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. Jerry Seinfeld was a a comical genius, and it was really simple what he did. He was best at really pointing out the eccentricities of the average human being. Really, he, he would make fun of us because of our, our foibles. And he had a phrase that he really made very famous. Do you remember what it is? That's how he did it. He, he would always say, What's the deal with, and then he'd finish the phrase. So he would, he would say things like, what's the deal with lampshades? Uh, a lampshade, why does a lamp need shade? I'm not that funny, am I? But you get the point. He, he would say things like, what's the deal with Aquaman? Can he survive on land? Or, or he'd say things like, what's the deal with peanuts on an airplane? Or what's the deal with homework because you're not working on your home? And, and we would think that these things were, were very funny because they're things that we do every day. And he was just a genius at, at pointing out our foibles and our eccentricities that have become really very, very normal to us. I'm going to try my hand at one. What's the deal with marathoners sprinting at the end? Have you ever thought about that? Because that's, that's what they always do. They, they get to the last point, too, and all of a sudden it's this great idea, like, I'm going to sprint at the very end. I mean, physiologically... This doesn't make any sense. The muscles are spent. Uh, The heart is going too fast. The armpits are chased and 
chafed in all kinds of gross ways, and uh, the feet are blistered. I mean, physically, physiologically, this, this doesn't make any sense. What's the deal with people sprinting at the end of marathons? It doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. Maybe it makes sense spiritually. Maybe it makes sense emotionally. But it makes no sense physically to run as fast as you can, the fastest part of the race, at the very end. The reason why I bring all this up is because our problem with running is not with finishing well. I think you would all agree with that, isn't it? Like, we can sprint, and we could break down all the reasons for that. We can sprint at the very end of the race. Our problem's in the middle, isn't it? Our problem is in the middle of the race. Because all of a sudden we start thinking to ourselves, like, it's starting to sound like a really good idea to walk. And, it, and it's starting to seem like a really good idea just to pull off to the side for a while and drink Gatorade. And, and for some of us, you know, it gets so hard, it's so painful that it sounds like actually a really good idea to quit. And nobody would quit with 0.2 miles left. Trust me when I say it. The Apostle Paul is at the end of his race. And he doesn't write these words so that we would learn how to die. He does that in other parts, in other letters. He writes these words today, verses 6, 7, and 8, so that we would learn how to live. He writes these words so that we would learn how to run and how to fight from start all the way to finish. Now listen to what he says again. I'm going to read the New King James Version because I like this version for these verses. He said this, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight, I've finished the race, I've kept the faith. Finally there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness with which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not only, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Some people call this the valedictory of the Apostle Paul. In other words, every valedictorian gives a valedictory address. These are his last words, in other words. This is the last thing that the Apostle Paul says to us and to Timothy. And don't get me wrong, there's a lot of different, the, the book's not quite at the end. But what happens next are these personal comments, these little encouragements that Timothy would come. These are the words with the most content, with the most power for Timothy at the very end of his life. And the Apostle Paul is one of the brightest lights to ever walk the face of the earth, and now the sun is going down. So if there's, 
If there ever were words the Apostle Paul wrote that you should pay attention to, it's these words. Because it's with these words that he encourages us to keep on going. These, these are his last will and testament to dear Timothy. And I want you to notice this about the Apostle Paul. He's not in denial. He's not bargaining. He's not angry. And he's not sad. Now those things are true. In fact, I wonder what Keebler Ross, they're so famous because of their stages of dying, would do with what the Apostle Paul is saying here. Maybe he's in stage five, we'd say. He's at the point of acceptance. But I don't even think that really works, does it? Is he accepting his own death? No, I think he's doing more. He's celebrating it. He's victoriously saying, I have won. Listen to what he says again. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. So I want you to understand this. This is no dying man who's angry or sad or something like that. Or, he, or even accepting. He is celebrating his death. He is celebrating the fact that very soon he will meet his Savior. And it kind of actually bothers me a little bit how victorious he is. How personal he is. Does it bother you too? Maybe it's my Lutheran sensibilities. <laughs> maybe, it's, maybe it's my theology that makes you say, really, Apostle Paul? You fought the good fight all by yourself and you did that? And, and really, Apostle Paul, you, uh, you ran the straight race all by yourself. That was all you. You got it done and, and you kept the faith. Maybe, it, maybe it's my... Lutheran sensibilities, but I think it's more. I think personally when I read these words, there's a deeper reason why these words bother me a little bit. It's because I'm nothing like him. I mean, he, he was able to look back across decades of his life and say, I fought the good fight. I ran the good race. I kept the faith. And I can't even do that with one day. Can you? I mean, at the beginning of each day, I, don't get me wrong, I'm full of fight. I'm ready to go. It's a new beginning. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, that's a different story. At the end of the day, I'm saying to myself, you know, I fought with all the wrong people. And it wasn't necessarily good, the good fight. It was my own fight. And at the end of the day, I'm kind of saying to myself, you know, I ran sometimes really fast away from all my responsibilities. <laughs> and I trusted sometimes myself, sometimes God. I mean, I... I 
He's saying this about decades of his life. I can hardly say it about one day. I fought the good fight. I finished the... Maybe that's why deep down it bothers me because I finish days crawling. Rarely with a cry of victory and more often with a cry, Lord have mercy. Lord have mercy. Now, before we move on from this verse, we need to realize what the Apostle Paul is actually saying with these words. We need to be crystal clear. He's saying, I fought. He's saying, I agonized. He's saying, I suffered. He's saying, I agonized the good agony. I was punched, I was laid out, and I suffered. He's not saying I won the fight. He's saying in these words, I ran, but I didn't set a world record. He's saying, he finished. And, and, and any of you who run know that there's a big difference. There's a big difference between a finisher and a winner. You do realize that, right? He's saying, I'm a finisher. He's saying, I trusted. And what else could he do, right? Other than trust in the Lord for his own Salvation. He's saying nothing else than saying, I fought, I ran and finished, and I trusted. That's what he's saying. In other words, he's not saying that because he ran so hard and fought so good that all of a sudden Jesus is going to say, here's your crown, you're the best. He's saying that somebody else won the victory for him. And that's exactly what he says in verse 18, verse 8. It's a very brilliant verse. He says this. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not only to me, but also he who, to all who have loved his appearing. This is literally the crowning verse of all the books the Apostle Paul wrote in the New Testament. This is literally the crowning verse because the Apostle Paul, you see what he's looking forward to? He's looking forward to Coronation Day. He's looking forward to Jesus putting on his head a crown. And now I think this is very interesting. This is very interesting. He's imagining him for himself. He's orienting himself towards the future. And this is very interesting because St. John, for example, he looks forward to the crown of life. St. Peter, he looks forward to the crown of glory. 
And St. Paul looks forward to the crown of righteousness. I think that's his style, isn't it? That he, he was looking forward to the day when his righteousness would know not only be imputed, but that he would be confirmed and crowned in righteousness. The day when he would no longer have to fight. The day when he would no longer have to run. But that he would be perfect all the time. And never ever sin again. Can you imagine that? Being crowned in righteousness. Imagine that. What would that be like? What would it be like to see a a stack of $100 bills in the street and there's not even a flutter in your heart towards it? You know, right now, human beings are like bees when it comes to money. Like, we're just attracted to it. What would it be like to not care about money anymore? Imagine it. What would it be like to, for example, be driving in New York City and get cut off, and, and your heart just responds with perfect equanimity? Like, you're not angry at all because you're just so perfect. What would it be like if you were able to enjoy a cup of coffee and just enjoy it because your thoughts aren't interrupted with stress or worries or anxiety about life. Your trust is so perfect and your heart is so sinless. Imagine that. It's amazing to think about and the reality is we can't really imagine it. Can 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 a blind man understand what the color blue looks like? And can a deaf man understand what it sounds like to hear the seven train rumbling overhead? And, and can, a sinner, can a sinner truly imagine what it's like to be confirmed and crowned and be perfectly righteous? The truth is that We can't imagine it, but we will experience it in Jesus' holy name. And the Apostle Paul can't wait for it. He cannot wait to experience this incredible radically release from all sin. So he runs. As fast as we can. We're going to experience it. Why? The Apostle Paul tells us. This is what he says. He says, Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Jesus is the one who's going to decide whether you get a crown of righteousness or you're condemned to hell. He's the judge. We say that in the creed. 
We say it right here. Here's the judge. And I want you to understand, the Apostle Paul didn't think that that was bad news. He actually thought that that was good news. Now, I want to explain this to you. I think a defense lawyer would be licking his or her chops if he found out that the judge was sympathetic to their case. Don't you think? I mean, please understand that this is a massive conflict of interest. This is a massive conflict of interest to have Christ the Redeemer, crowned with thorns, become Christ the Judge who wants to give to you the crown of righteousness. This is a massive conflict of interest. Jesus is the one who came into our world to save us from sin, who became incarnate. Jesus is the one who spread his arms out and died on the cross in love for you. Jesus is the one who rose from the dead to declare you righteous. And he is also your judge. This is gospel news. This is good news because the conflict is so massive. And so the Apostle Paul's strategy is very simple. Jesus Christ, who saved me, is also my judge. So what am I going to do? What am I going to do? I'm going to throw myself at the mercy of the court. That's what he thought. To him. I'm going to throw myself at the mercy of the court. That's what the Apostle Paul did. And he knew that when he did that, that Christ the Redeemer and Christ the Judge would give to him a crown. Because he's so good. And he is so merciful. So you know what my strategy is going to be? You know what your strategy should be? Throw yourself on the mercy of the court. And he will exchange your sin for a crown that guarantees that you will never, ever sin again. It's the gospel message. None of you, I, I think it's safe to say, None of you can say, there's nothing left in my glass. I'm just about poured out. There's, there's one drop left. I don't think any of you can say that. You're all somewhere in the middle of your race. So run. Run all the way until you meet Jesus the judge. Fight like you've never fought before. Fight the good fight. Not just any fight. Fight the good fight all the way to the end because let me tell you, it is worth it to be in a place where you'll finally be absolutely perfect. Amen.